Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. How are you? It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. I hope you had a great weekend. Uh, We must begin with the weekend because we try to remark and memorialize it. I don't know how long this will happen. And I, I, I bring this up each year when we arrive at this moment. Uh, you know, the British still hold a ceremony every uh, Remembrance Day on the 11th of November. They wear their poppies for those who died in World War One. now more than 100 years ago. I don't know how long it will be before the desire to memorialize September 11th, 2001 recedes. But that desire is not there yet. And to some degree, I, I hope it never fades, uh, given the significance of it. We have to talk about that. Uh, we should begin with a part of the address of the President of the United States yesterday. They, and, and, and please do listen here, because there is a point that has to be made after this. I remember a message sent to the American people from Queen Elizabeth. It was on September 11. Her ambassador read a prayer of service at St. Thomas Church in New York, where she pointedly reminded us, quote, grief is the price we pay for love. Grief is the price we pay for love. Many of us have experienced that grief, and you've all experienced it. And on this day, when the price feels so great, Jill and I are holding all of you close to our hearts. Terror struck us in that brilliant blue morning. The air filled with smoke, And then came the sirens and the stories. Stories of those we lost, stories of incredible heroism from that terrible day. The American story, the American story itself changed that day. But what we did change, what we will not change, what we cannot change, never will, is the character of this nation that the terrorists thought they could wound. And what is that character? The character of sacrifice and love, of generosity and grace, of strength and resilience. Now, there are a couple of things that should be noted here. First, a question. Can you stand to listen to President Biden's voice? Can you stand to listen to President Biden's voice? This is the the more difficult deal with the president these days. This is not a partisan point, by the way, where Republicans just can't stand to listen to the Democratic president and Democrats can't stand to listen to the Republican president. One of the jobs the founders wove into our society is that occasionally the president is supposed to transcend partisan politics to rise uh, to position of leader of the nation, where in Great Britain uh, you have a, a monarch, now a king for the first time in 70 years, and probably not a queen again in any of our lifetimes, uh, you you have a, a monarch who is the symbol of the nation, who rallies the nation, transcends politics, does not engage or speak publicly in politics, who the nation can look to as their leader, as someone they can invest some pride in and some symbolism for the nation in a way that our founders decided one man could do that. And 
At this point in this country, uh, it looks harder and harder to do when Republicans don't want to listen to the president if it's a Democrat and vice versa, and both sides read into the messages of those statesmen things that were not there nor implied but presumed based on the partisan intentions of the person listening. But it does not help this president of the United States that he gave his address the other day in Philadelphia, a partisan speech attacking half the country as domestic terrorists, and then to have his vice president on September 11th interviewed by Chuck Todd on NBC's Meet the Press with this exchange. Look, we're at the 21st um, marking, if you will, of the September 11th attacks. This was a foreign terrorist attacking our democracy, attacking this country. We're now, as a nation, battling a threat from within. Is the threat Hmm. equal or greater than what we faced after 9-11? That's an interesting question. Um, I have held many elected offices as district attorney, attorney general, senator, now vice president, and there's an oath that we always take, which is to defend and uphold our constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. We don't compare the two in the oath, but we know they both can exist and we must defend against it. So um, is this MAGA she is talking about or is it January 6th? And therein lies the problem here. Um, There was a a candidate for Congress who lost down in Florida. Um, She is a hyper-progressive. Her name is Pam Keith. And on September 11th, she noted that um, 9-11 ceased being the worst thing that happened to America in my lifetime on January 6th, 2021. Progressives are convinced January 6th is the worst thing ever. Now, let me concede the fact that if you think it was a really bad day in American politics, yes, it actually was a very bad day in American politics where people didn't just show up to protest what they thought was a stolen election, but a number of them stormed into the U.S. Capitol, one getting shot trying to smash down a window to break into the Speaker's lobby as members of Congress fled. And many of those out there view this woman who was on the side of the people storming the building as as some sort of a hero – When she wasn't. Yes, police officers did die that day. Some of them assaulted, but those who died, died of other things. They did not die from being attacked or getting shot, heart attacks and the like. Some were assaulted, grossly assaulted, but not killed by the protesters. One person was killed. She was one of the protesters. Over 2,000 Americans died on 9-11 in an unprovoked attack on our American Republic. Put more bluntly, no one jumped from the Capitol Dome on January 6, 2021 to get away from the rioters, the insurrectionists, the protesters, whatever you want to call them. No one jumped from the Capitol Dome. Hundreds of people jumped from the World Trade Center. I can see the pictures in my head. 
I can see the pictures in my head. I can see the man falling, looking as if he was sitting in a chair. It was a moment frozen in time. Time. The reality was he was spinning. The camera lens clicked at a high frame rate. It froze him in time as if he was sitting upside down in a chair. He was looking down headfirst at death that rapidly approached him. No one died like that on January 6th, 2021. And if you think they're comparable, it's actually a sign of how broken you are. It is a sign of you being broken by politics. It is a sign of you being so obsessed with politics as a religion and your gods were defiled by your partisan opponents that you believe it is worse the 19 men slitting the throats of pilots, taking their seats, and slamming planes full of passengers into two tall buildings, the Pentagon, and a field in Pennsylvania. And that's on you. It's not on me. It's not on Trump supporters. It's not on Donald Trump. It's not on anyone else. That's you. That's your measure of brokenness. If Donald Trump has a real superpower, it is this. He gets his opponents to act and behave and become like they claim he is. They begin to do exactly the things they say Donald Trump does. I'm I'm sorry if this offends any of you, and I, I actually doubt there are very many people listening right now who think that January 6th is worse than September 11th. I, I really do doubt there, there may be one person in this whole audience who does, but the fact that there, there are prominent people with blue check marks on social media who believe that, who are influential within the Democratic Party, should actually give you a damning indictment on the voices of the left in this country who really, if at the end of the day we are honest about it, their problem is power. For four years, they denied legitimacy to Donald Trump's presidency because they lost power when a majority of voters voted for Hillary Clinton. But the Electoral College went for Trump. And for four years, they were out of power. And in 2020, they're upset that all the Republicans did who supported Donald Trump is they turned it on its head. Many of them don't really believe the election was stolen, but it's what the Democrats always do, so that's what these people did. Some of them became began to believe it was stolen, but a lot of the loudest voices in the room there at the beginning, they didn't really believe it was stolen. They just saw that's what Stacey Abrams did. That's what Hillary Clinton did. That's what Al Gore did. That's what John Kerry did. That's what the Democrats do. We're going to do it too this time. Precedent matters. And the gullible, the easily believable, the duped, they're willing to be duped and to believe it for real. They believe it convictionally, epistemically. They believe the election was stolen. Whether it was or it's not, you can't actually convince them otherwise. I'm giving up trying. But I understand where they got to that conclusion because for years Democrats have done it. The election was stolen from Al Gore. The election was stolen from John Kerry. The election was stolen uh, from Hillary Clinton. The election was stolen from Stacey Abrams. At some point, something wicked will this way come and have to force us to recalibrate. On September 11th, 2001, 
the wickedness derived. And it's a damning indictment on the psyche of people on the left who think that what happened on January 6th is anyway comparable to that day. No one jumped off the Capitol Dome. No building blew up. There's been far more violence done in the U.S. Capitol by the British, by Puerto Rican terrorists, by others in the past than what happened that day. And yet history does not matter to people on the left. Sort of the great, great political books in the last two decades, Liberal Fascism by Jonah Goldberg, that points out one of the defining characteristics of the progressive movement of America is that it has no sense of history. It needs no sense of history because history always begins the moment they grab power and begin to wield it. And that's the moment history begins. And so they don't have to pay attention to the past. They don't have to pay attention to historic precedent, nor do they have to pay attention to the bad ideas of the past that failed because everything is always new. And so in that sense, with those people, they can hear the vice president of the United States suggest that if you're on the right and you disagree with their policies on economics and the like, that you are a domestic terrorist and they can smugly, self-assuredly smile and nod their head. And they can look on the horrors of 9-11, tall buildings collapsing, hundreds jumping from buildings, People who woke up that morning and kissed their spouses and children goodbye, never to be seen again except in dreams. And they can conclude that January 6th was worse. It was not. And we should not let them get away with it. 21 years ago yesterday, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, Sons and daughters, they got up, saw the sunrise on a clear day of blue sky where you could see for miles. And they went into the sky on planes or elevators into tall buildings where you could see the horizon on the distance. And hell came to them. And we've been at war to a degree ever since on the day that changed everything. And it is a dishonor to their memory to think that what came a year ago was anything like that day where the buildings fell and the crater formed in a field and men and women die and real heroes were made in a war that has gone on. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. As always, you can text the word DATA to 33777. Subscribe to the daily email, get the show notes delivered as the show starts so you can follow along with all the stuff I'm talking about and just read it and think for yourself. I'll tell you what I think and do the analysis, but want you to be able to have it in your hand. By the way, I must welcome Ken Ken is the new boss here at the flagship station. This is my my time and opportunity to suck up to Ken and remind him what a wonderful and gracious person he is. And the rose petals thrown on the floor this morning were from me. Uh, I hope he didn't have to clean them up. I will gladly send someone to take care of them. <laughs> Welcome, Ken Charles, to the family at uh, Cox Media Group. Now, to the phones we go, 877-973-7425. Connie, you are up first. Welcome. 
Hi, Eric. Um, I when you started talking about January sixth and the comparison to nine eleven, it made me remember there was some event that George W. Bush spoke at, and he actually compared nine eleven with January sixth, which just floored me. There's no comparison whatsoever, and it's just evidence of the political mind of people. I knew, I okay. know that the Bush family hates Trump, well, you know, well, hang, hang on, Connie, hang, hang on, to- hang on. Um, I, I disagree with the comparison and I say that lovingly. And let me explain to you this way. Uh, CNN and the Washington post and the New York times said, Oh my gosh, George W. Bush, he's condemning the January 6th people. Um, if you actually listen to what Bush said, he wasn't condemning the January 6th people. He was condemning the rise of extremism on both sides in the country, uh, from the rioters in, in Waukesha to the people storming into the Capitol. But the media played it up as he was condemning the people on January 6th. Well, I was actually watching the speech, and I got that impression myself. Yeah, so but it's, if it's I'm one wrong, of those. I'm wrong. Well, it's it's one of those 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 situations. Now, like I say, when you listen to Biden speak, and you're on the right, um, you, you you interpret it in one way. If you're a Democrat, and you listen to Trump speak, you interpret it another way. And these days, a lot of Republicans who are a little bit um, miffed with some of what George W. Bush did. They're at the point where they interpret it as as he was attacking them. Let me read you the line. Um, There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. In their disdain for pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit, and it is our continuing duty to confront them after... September 11th, millions of brave Americans stepped forward and volunteered to serve in the armed forces. The military measures taken over the last 20 years to pursue dangers at their source has led to debate. But one thing is certain, we owe an assurance to those who fought in the nation's most recent battles. Uh, Now, I will scroll down a little bit uh, to this. In the weeks and months following the 9-11 attacks. I was proud to lead an amazing, resilient, united people. When it comes to the unity of America, those days seem distant. Malign forces seem to work in our common life that turns every disagreement into an argument and every argument into a clash of culture. So much of our politics has become a naked appeal to anger, fear, and resentment that leaves us worried in our nation and our future, about our nation and our future together. I interpret that as he was calling out both sides. A lot of people called it out on just January 6th. Hello there. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Um, I, I want to go uh, one more point on, on Connie. If, if you just, if you're listening, uh, Connie called in, she heard president Bush, his last September 11th speech, and she interpreted him to be attacking the people of January 6th and Trump supporters. Uh, the media, of course, the Washington post, New York times, CNN, they all said that as well. Actually, I read it somewhat differently that he was taking in all sides are uh, getting angry and, and disruptive and misbehaving. It wasn't a just picking on one side. And my further proof that he was going after all sides, these two paragraphs, at a time when this is talking about it's September 11th, not January 6th here, at a time when nativism could have stirred hatred and violence against people perceived as outsiders – I saw Americans reaffirm their welcome to immigrants and refugees. That's the nation I know. That is taking on Trump supporters. 
and then taking on the left. At a time when some viewed the rising generation as individualistic and decadent, I saw young people embrace an ethic of service and rise to selfless action. That's the nation I know. This is not mere nostalgia. It's the truest vision of ourselves. It's what we have been and can be again. So you can say he was criticizing January 6th and and the actions that day, which I think those who stormed into the Capitol, you can criticize them. But at the same time, I would just say for perspective, there's kind of a, a both sides are worrying and angering and quarreling about everything here. And those two lines are the nativist front, that's the the left's criticism of Trump supporters, and then the the younger, individualistic, decadent people who are the young voters of the left, and he goes after both and essentially calls them to be better people. Uh, so I would say the media framing of it was all about January 6th is wrong. It was a broader critique of both sides in American politics right now squabbling over everything. Now, one more call before I move on to other stuff. I'm going to go to Gil. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Gil, how are you? Fine. Thank you, sir. Thank you for taking my call. I apologize for my English. I'm originally from Manila, but I do happen to read, write, and speak. So. Don't ever apologize for your English. We understand you're great. And we're glad you're here. Uh, now, Gil? Six years in the middle. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yes, your, your cell phone dropped for just a second. So, okay. We just heard you again. Yes, sir. Yes, go ahead, Gil. Yes, I'm truly disappointed with the uh, observance, commemoration of 9-11, 21 years after. I happened to be a truck driver driving all over from Florida to California and back during the last 21 days. And it seems that I'm the only one flying the American flag at the risk of being shot or harmed as the law enforcement officers that I have encountered have warned me that danger. My gosh. Wow. Well, listen, uh, I, I kind of, I'm with you. Uh, time fades to some degree on that, but it, it's, it's a shame that people think you could be shot for flying the flag. I'm glad you're doing it. Okay, so now, Gil, I have to ask, I, I know you're, you're from the Philippines. Uh, you broke up a little bit when you first started talking. When did you come to the country? At the risk of being identified, I came in 2008, legally. Excellent. Good for you. Well, welcome to the country. Are you a citizen now? Gil, are, are you a citizen now or just a legal resident? Again, at the risk of being identified, I am a resident, but my whole family are already American citizens because... It's so expensive right. to go through the legal process. Well, look, um, thank you for calling and thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Don't worry about your accent. You, you speak fine. We understand you. I got to let you go there. Your cell phone connection is, is not that great, but I appreciate you so much for calling in. God bless you for being here and for flying the American flag. It is something that I have learned so often in this country is that people who come to this country from abroad – uh, tend to be far more patriotic than a lot of the people who have been born here and take this country for granted. Uh, so many of the people who want to come here 
are the proudest of this country these days. And here is Gill having law officers tell him uh, he might not should be flying the flag. He could get shot, and he's proudly flying the flag around September 11th. God bless him for it. Now, I got to talk about something else here. This is uh, somewhat important. There's an ongoing criticism in the media with the death of Elizabeth II about colonialism and how bad it is. I want to play for you. This is Christiane Amanpour, a woman I'm just, I'm tired of her shtick on CNN. Um, But nonetheless, listen to this. And Max, I really do believe that we have to have this conversation right now, even at this moment. Because different demographics, different people were looking, listening for different reasons. And look what he said. In the 70 years of her being on the throne, many cultures and many faiths have flourished in these past seven decades. But there is an ongoing, particularly in the wake of Black Lives Matter, particularly in the protests that that erupted all over the world after what happened in, in Minnesota, here as well, in France, in other parts of these nations that had colonial servants, let's face it. People were in service to this empire. The wealth of this empire was derived on the back of the people of the of 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 their empire on display in the palace right on display everywhere and in the crown and everywhere so what we're saying is that there are there is the generation of multicultural and diverse britons who want this answered who want to see their monarch finally talk about what it means and what you know potentially the idea of reparations definitely justice right justice and i think prince harry and you know this better than me sorry prince william who's the prince of wales and the heir the next king he talked about it having been criticized for a trip that he made in the caribbean and again a colonial legacy um that we must have this discussion and it must be up to those countries but it also has to be had in this country as well Oh, tell us. Tell us what that country must have, Christian Amanpour from Iran. Now, here's Ali Velshi on MSNBC yelling at a British historian. And joining our conversation now is Dr. Andrew Roberts. He's an MSNBC British historian, the author of many books about the royal family, including The Royal House of Windsor and George III, The Life and Reign of Britain's Most Misunderstood uh, Monarch. Andrew, good to see you. Thank you for being with us this morning or this afternoon uh, in London. Let's discuss this. The, The idea that there were people, we just had an historian say that there are many people who are queenists. They're not monarchists. They liked her. They're either bored with the institution or think, think, think that it needs to change or aren't going to be that into the next king. Give us your evaluation of that. I think that's wildly overstated, frankly. Uh, I think uh, when you look at all the opinion polls, we're about 80 to 85 percent in favor of having a constitutional monarchy, whoever's in, uh, in, on the throne. Uh, So I think this is extremely overdone, uh, frankly. Rather, I'm afraid to say, as your introduction was, if uh, we had given so much pain to people throughout uh, history, why was uh, Charles chosen by every single uh, Commonwealth country, many of which are former imperial countries, as the head of the Commonwealth? We Uh, abolished slavery. Hold on a second. Are you really denying what I just said about British colonialism? Are you really doing that, Andrew? Are you really we, doing that? We, abo- we, we, Andrew, we abolished Andrew, slavery. Andrew, this is not a propaganda show. Andrew, I need you to stop. I need you to stop for a second. I need you to stop for a second. Are you really taking issue with the with the horrors of colonialism, Andrew? I'm, I'm certainly taking issue with your remarks about slavery, which we abolished 32 years before you did. And we didn't have to kill 600,000 people in a civil war over it. Amen to him. There's a movie 
making waves. It's called The Woman King. It has a 100% rating from the critics on Rotten Tomatoes. It hasn't been released into the public yet, so there's no public rating yet. But the critics, this is one of those movies, they have priapism over this movie. 100% rating for this, this uh, show, The Woman King. It follows the all-male group of warriors, the Ogoji, who protect the kingdom of Dahomey. The group's general, Naniska, trains a new generation of warriors to fight against an enemy who wants to destroy their way of life. I haven't seen the movie yet either. I was not invited to a pre-screening of this movie. Do you want to know a fun fact? Fun fact of history. Do you know what brought the Dahomey to the verge of collapse? The British Empire. The British colonials. The kingdom of Dahomey was on the West African coast. Essentially, it was comprised of parts of uh, Niger, Nigeria, Togo, Ghana. It was brought to the verge of ruin by those nasty British imperialists in the 1800s. Do you know why? Probably not going to make the movie. You see, the British blockaded the kingdom of Dahomey, blocked their ports, bombed them, stopped them from being able to export their chief export. An economic blockade of the kingdom of Dahomey to prevent it from trading with the West. Those British imperialists were depriving them of the ability to export their chief crop. Do you know what that crop was? Slaves. That's right. That's right. The awful, terrible British Empire. The British Empire, which must account for the history of terribleness of colonialism, was so terrible that it brought the kingdom of Dahomey to its knees because the kingdom of Dahomey was the largest slave-trading kingdom of Western Africa, and the British went to war against slavery and shut down the Atlantic slave trade. The Dahomey were allied with the French. The French were willing to allow the slave trade and to profit from it, and the British said, no, sorry, Bob. And they blockaded the kingdom of Dahomey and fought the French in the Atlantic over the slave trade and ground to a halt the trading of slaves. It is deeply hilarious to me that Hollywood has decided to present a movie called The Woman King about a group of female warriors from West Africa whose kingdom was the chief slave trading region of Africa. In fact, at one point, there was a tribute uh, tr- uh, tribe that played tri- paid tribute 
to the kingdom of Dahomey. And the British directly went to war, like ground war, land war invasion in Africa to stop the slave trade. And that uh, tribe that paid tribute to the kingdom of Dahomey appealed to the French for help. The French came in to try to help them with troops, and the kingdom of Dahomey went to war with that tribe for having the audacity to ask the French for help protecting them from the British, who were there to stop the slave trade. And yet on MSNBC, you would have no idea about this. On MSNBC, you think the British were the chief slavers outside of the Americans and that boys can get pregnant. That's what you get when you watch MSNBC. Your brain rots. The truth bomb is that it was the British who put a halt to the slave trade. There was this guy named Wilberforce. Great movie about him called Amazing Grace. Actually, really is a great movie, if you've never seen it, about William Wilberforce, who every year in Parliament would introduce a resolution to ban slavery. And finally, after much effort and the rallying of John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, he having been a slave captain, converted to Christianity and repented of his sins and became a minister, wrote the lyrics of Amazing Grace, they were able to rally the British people in Christendom to shut down the slave trade across the Atlantic. It's a good movie. It's real history. You wouldn't know that from Hollywood or from MSNBC. You wouldn't. You also, if you're watching MSNBC, would not understand the economic calamity that might happen this week with a railroad strike that could grind the economy to a halt. If you're thinking about using precious metals to help your portfolio through these difficult times, you may want to reach out to my friends at Gold Co. You can call them at 855-904-5933. You'll get a free wealth protection kit from them to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. Thousands of retirees are protecting their retirement savings. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. If you call Gold Co. at 855-904-5933, you can find out how you qualify for their offer. They've helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation, stock market turmoil. They want to see if they can help you. Just reach out to them, 855-904-5933, or you can call call them by just texting my name. If you don't want to write down the number, just text my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, the number we always use, Eric, to 33777. I'll send you back their toll-free number, and you can talk to GoldCo and see if they can help you. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Um, a word, if you will. There, we are in danger of a beer shortage, like Brett Kavanaugh. I like beer. So I did not know this, and and I'm actually in studio today, which is great because Jim is here with me, and I don't know that Jim knew this. So Jim, did you know that Jackson, Mississippi? Its chief export to the world is carbon dioxide for beverages. I know Jim and I, we did not know that. I only just now today learned it. Why? There is, folks, believe it or not, a dormant volcano. Jackson, Mississippi, I did know this, is built on a dormant volcano. And the dome of the volcano under which Jackson, Mississippi, above which Jackson, Mississippi exists, under it, is a giant mass, the largest reservoir of carbon dioxide east of the Mississippi River. And so for decades, Jackson, Mississippi has been pumping out the almost unending supply of carbon dioxide for Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, and America's beer. 
Um, the carbon dioxide is transmitted around the nation uh, under pressure and used to additionally carbonate beverages. So beverages, whether it's a Coke or a Pepsi or Dr. Pepper or a Sprite or a beer, uh, is carbonated, but then extra carbonation is added in the seal to maintain that carbonation in a can or a bottle until you open it and you have that pleasant release of carbon dioxide. Well, that's done under pressure with the carbon dioxide from Jackson, Mississippi, except the carbon dioxide in the dome has been uh, contaminated by natural releases of sulfur. And they're having trouble cleaning the sulfur out when they process the carbon dioxide. And you don't want to smell rotten eggs when you open your uh, can of beer. And they're having trouble now, which is causing a carbon dioxide shortage. Uh, Most major beer companies in America recycle their carbon that they make in the fermenting process, and they use that now. Uh, But smaller craft beer brewers are having a hard time. This comes as football season starts again. Now, I actually had margaritas on the front porch last night, not a beer. Thought about it. Probably should have, given the strength of the margaritas. But nonetheless, I digress. Football season is back, folks, and it's a wonderful thing to be able to not have a conversation with people sitting on my front porch on Sunday nights now because we're actually watching a football game instead of talking to each other. It was wonderful. My gosh, Texas A&M, um, how about those Aggies? That was something. Uh, goodness, Siri, what was the Texas A&M score on Saturday? Oh, is Siri going to give it to me? Nope, Siri's decided not to give it to me. She's giving it on the wrong. Well, Texas A&M lost to Appalachian State, of all things. And Alabama, Alabama, Satan himself nearly lost to Texas. What the heck was that about? I was in the grocery store. Literally every man in the grocery 